Good morning, everybody. Number one, we study the Old Testament. We study the Old Testament because it is the foundation of everything. We study the Old Testament because it's the foundation of everything. The Old Testament tells us about God, first of all. The Old Testament tells us about creation, secondly. The Old Testament tells us about man, third, his beginnings. Man and woman coming together in marriage. The establishment of the family and home. The establishment of cities and nations. The Bible tells us a lot about man. But the Bible also tells us about sin in the Old Testament. It tells us about sin. And it tells us about the great plan of God. The Old Testament is the foundation for everything. And so one is really somewhat lacking if they don't have a proper understanding and appreciation for the value of the Old Testament. But here's the second reason. The Old Testament needs to be studied. And yes, it'll put information that's precious in our mind and joy in our heart and a spring in our step two, just like the new, because God gave it. That's pretty simple, isn't it? The God gave the Old Testament. It must be tremendously valuable and precious. God gave it. Third, think about this one, young people. The Old Testament was the book that Jesus read. It was the Bible that Jesus read. That ought to make it precious to us. We sing, oh, how we love Jesus, and that's wonderful. We ought to. But do we love the Old Testament, which was the Bible that Jesus read and respected and lifted up and fulfilled? Do we? Love and respect the teachings of that book. But finally, number four, study the Old Testament. Let its message just saturate your mind with truth and and greatness of God. Let the joy of its message fill your heart and let it put spring in your step because it points to the new. It points to what is better in Jesus and the New Testament. Matthew 26 and verse 28. Seven passages now. The Old Testament and seven passages. Here they are. Open your Bibles first of all to Genesis 1. Notice verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Hubert Spencer was a scientist in 1820 and he said, 
in order to study any subject and its beginning. You need to know something about time and source and energy and space and matter. Now read Genesis 1-1 again. Time in the beginning. Source, God. Energy, created. Through his spoken word, he spoke everything into existence. Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9. The heavens, space, the earth, matter. The Old Testament begins with the account of who created the heavens and the earth and when it was done. Now notice... Just a few verses down, verse 26, and this is still the first of the seven passages. In verse 26 through 28, God says, Let us create man in our image and in our likeness. Man is the high point of all the creation in a very real sense. And there is a special closeness and intimacy that God desires to have with mankind. Men and women. And it's a relationship of closeness and depth and richness. So when we read this first chapter, and when we read these opening verses, think about it. And how this is the story of God and His relationship with His creation, but especially His relationship with man. Now open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, second passage. Look at verses 2 through 4. As we look at the story of the Old Testament, the Old Testament in seven passages, look at Genesis 12, because God has chosen this man by the name of Abram. And God makes a promise to Abram that will have tremendous implications. It is a promise that will impact history. It is a promise that will impact eternity. Notice that there are four parts to this promise. Part number one, God promises Abram a place. I want you to go to a place, a land that I will show you. Do you see that in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 through 4? You sure should. A place. You got it? Secondly, I promise you, Abram, God says, a people. A people. That's significant. 
We know that Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. God promised that he would be the father of a people, a nation, the Jews. God promised, third, his protection. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. I'm picking you, Abram, out of all the peoples, not because you're so significant and great and mighty, really just the opposite. But because I want you to learn to trust me, and because I want, number four, the fourth promise is that of a plan or program. Through your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed through your seed. Understanding this four-part promise of God to Abraham will help us understand a lot of the Old Testament when we might be left scratching our heads sometimes because these people, the Jews, are often disobedient and rebellious and God has to punish them. They don't seem to keep looking to God But God has made a promise that through Abram's lineage, through his descendants, one would come who would bless all nations, Jesus. Matthew 1, 21 through 25. As the story of the Old Testament continues to unfold, catch this third passage. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And what Exodus 34, 6 and 7 do, and notice sometime the context surrounding this, but it is a marvelous portrait of God. It is a marvelous portrait of God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Israel. And He is called... The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, 6,829 times in the Old Testament. The Lord God, the Lord God, Rod, it even rhymed, the Lord God, Rod, who wants to have a relationship with people who wants to be a God who has covenant, who has related in a special way to man. And the Jews are going to be the initial source of blessing, how God blesses the world through Jesus. But notice what is said of this God. Seven qualities that make up a marvelous portrait of God. It says that God... Yahweh is merciful. A lot of people have such a terrible view of the Old Testament, they don't think that God is merciful in the Old Testament. Listen to the next term. Merciful and gracious. He doesn't treat people the way they deserve. He treats them better than they deserve. And in the Old Testament, God is gracious. Now, we see grace even more fully in the New, admittedly, but never tell me that God wasn't gracious in the Old Testament. 
And then it says, third, that he is slow to anger. Aren't you glad that our God is merciful, gracious, and long-suffering or patient? He's true to his character. Fourth, abounding in steadfast love. Fifth, faithfulness. He is a God who keeps covenant. He is a God who can be relied upon. If the covenant is broken, it is because man will break covenant. They will not keep up with the responsibility of having the relationship. A loving, a real relationship with God. Keep looking. How many have I gone through? Five. Number six, he's forgiving. He's forgiving. It's amazing how many people twist and distort the character of God, even now. And then finally, he is just. Will by no means acquit the guilty. You see that? If I'm going through the Old Testament, a passage like this has simply got to be emphasized. Passage number four. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah 10 and verse 23. Hear the words from this book. The way of man, Jeremiah 10.23, is not in himself. Is man the measure of all things? The way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Notice the word not. Notice the negatives. The way not in himself. Not in man to direct his own steps. Man is not the standard. And any worldview, any system of thinking that leaves the preeminent place of God as the standard for right and wrong and good and evil, any worldview or system that doesn't acknowledge that is flawed and horribly flawed. And any individual who lives their life as if the way all depends on them and what they want to do. And I am in control of my life. I am the captain of my soul. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps, the way of man is not in himself. Genesis 1, Genesis 12, Exodus 34, Jeremiah chapter 10. Now turn to Micah chapter 6. 
Micah chapter 6 and look at verse 8. If I am telling the old story of the Old Testament and I have but seven verses, I thought about it and prayed about it a lot. I don't know that I can choose better ones than I'm trying to for you today. What more does the Lord require of you than to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God? Yes, in the Old Testament commandments were given. There were things that were required But really what the Lord wanted, and if we could summarize the entire Old Testament, it would involve what? Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Let me go in the reverse. A failure to walk humbly will be due to pride, correct? If we do not love mercy or kindness, we will be unkind and bitter and full of hatred and animosity. And then, do justly, we will leave undone things and be unjust. And we'll mistreat God and others. Isn't that a picture of sin? We go from a portrait of God to what man and a portrait of man should be. But the picture ends up being flawed by sin and the old devil. Isaiah 53 will be the sixth passage. Isaiah 53, and while I chose verse 6... Really, the emphasis would be on the whole chapter. Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 800 years before Jesus would be born... It is as if Isaiah is at the foot of the cross and seeing Jesus crucified. And the rejection is his. So the acceptance can be ours. The wounds of the cross are his. So that the healing can be ours. The stripes that were involved in his death were his. So salvation could be ours. The punishment he takes, though innocent... So the deliverance is ours, though guilty. 
The death is his, though we deserved it. So life is ours, though we didn't. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. The way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. What more does he require of you than to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God? Everything about the Old Testament should have convinced the people who were living under that system how desperately, how completely, how overwhelmingly they would need the Lamb of God. And you know what? The Old Testament should do the same thing with us. Amen? Psalm 23, verse 1, is the seventh passage. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The message of the Old Testament in seven passages is that there is a Lord, Yahweh, who wants to have a relationship with man. He is my shepherd. The shepherd is everything to the sheep. And the rest of the psalm goes on to illustrate this very opening verse. The rest of Psalm 23. And because the Lord is my shepherd, He provides all we should ever want. Do you hear me, Troy? Our shepherd, the Lord Jesus, John 10, 11 through 18, is the good shepherd and he provides all that we ever want. The idea of want there, he provides all we should want. Even here in the wilderness, the expressions used in Deuteronomy 2, verse 7, when the children of Israel had gone astray, if you will, they disobeyed God, they'd rebelled, and they were made to wander in the wilderness. What did they lack? Did God make sure they had something to eat? Did God make sure they had plenty to drink? Did God take care of their shoes? And did God take care of their clothes? If God can do that for a wicked and obstinate and rebellious people, how much more will God take care and provide for people who, not perfectly, imperfect people, but people who love Him and do want to go His way, the Lord provides all we should ever want. The psalm says, The Lord protects us wherever we are. The presence of my enemies in the valley of the shadow of death. He provides protection. He protects us wherever we are. I 
I believe that He does that for children of God today, don't you? He provides all we should ever want and He protects us in every circumstance of life until we breathe our last. And then notice the last verse, verse 6. He promises all we should ever want. Goodness and mercy in this life and dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Now tell me, does that information delight your soul? Doesn't that information put joy in your heart? And it'll put a spring in your step. And Lord willing, two weeks from today, I will preach on the New Testament in seven passages. Deal? Lord willing. Deal. How can anybody not want to love and serve a God like that? How can anybody be disobedient and rebellious and obstinate toward a God like this? And really, that's an awfully good question. Why not come to Jesus through faith and repentance and baptism? Just as the Bible teaches, Acts 22 and verse 16, why not now? I guarantee you, you'll have even more Delight in your soul, joy in your heart, and spring in your step when you put on Jesus in baptism, when you're added to the church. And for those of us who are Christians, let's not forget about the preciousness and value of the Old Testament. Aren't you even more glad now that God gave that to us too? Let us stand and sing.